Well, I want to welcome those of you who are here. We're going to start out with communion this morning. And I welcome the visitors or individuals that I don't know. Of course, I may be old and met you several times. That's what I told him. He said his name was Sam Sir. I said, Sir. In any event, it's good to see some of you back here for the second time and third time, so it's wonderful. Uh, just a, an announcement that I was told to tell you as far as the communion, and that's this. We have a limited number of gluten-free cups. Those are the ones that have everything built in them. So if you want gluten-free, otherwise you might explode, I guess. Gluten-free, raise your hands, and I think the ushers will make sure you have one. Gluten-free. You know, the gluten, the, uh, <clears throat> the little cups that have the host and they have the juice on the bottom, they're on back order. We ordered them four weeks ago, and we're still on back order. So today, we're going back to the days of old. <laughs> we have... Yeah. Okay, visitors, we don't always go this route. <laughs> so we're going to have the old-fashioned crackers and uh, little cups, and the ushers will be passing those out to you. And I think it's just great. So I'm going to ask them to start getting ready for, the, uh, for passing out the, the emblems. You know, this morning we're going to be joining believers all over the world, and of course believers all through the centuries, who continue to remember the gospel through the observance of the Lord's Supper. And it's a tangible way, I think, for us to remember all that Christ has done for us. I think as we take the bread and we take the juice, that a certain gratitude may root in our hearts. We face life day by day, one day at a time. I just trust that the gift of salvation is dwarfing all the other desires that you may have. You know, you have a certain air of contentment through Jesus Christ, knowing that you have been treated badly, knowing that life is just not going the way you planned it, knowing that your bank account is low, and that there are sickness in your family. You know, there has to be a peace and a gratitude in your heart because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. You know, we have an ongoing, we have an eternal, undeserved blessing with our relationship through Jesus Christ. So as we prepare to take communion, I ask that you examine yourselves. You know, there's things in your life that would block you from being in the presence of God. If there is unforgiveness, for example, then ask for forgiveness. Take the necessary steps to correct it that you might receive communion. I think... Just take those moments in your own heart. In the meantime, the ushers can begin to, I'll have one of those, can begin to pass the emblems. This is a good time for examination, isn't it? Maybe it's good that we ran out of cups because now we have more time to evaluate ourselves. Is there anyone that prefers gluten-free, that has not received one. So I assume that all who desire to receive have. If not, you can raise your hands before the ushers put them away. 
Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's participate. Then in verse 25, he states, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's drink. Verse 26 tells us, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So our prayer should be this morning that we are praying that his coming be eminent. Amen? Well, gives me an opportunity to again welcome you to New Hope Chapel and welcome those of you online. And uh, you are more than welcome to our Sunday morning praise and worship service. We continually wait for you to come and be with us in person, but the air being what it is, travels and relays nice messages, good pictures. The title of my sermon this morning is simple, Four Truths for Tough Times. And I use my text as the epistle of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. Of course, it's printed in your handouts in the New King James, together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. And I do emphasize that you consult it. Walk with me, as I always do, through Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, this morning... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I don't know if my voice is too loud, but it sounds in my ear like it's echoing, like I have a raspy voice, but it's okay, right? Amen. Well, without a doubt, this is one of the most precious passages in the Bible. You know, it is a passage that is packed with powerful promises. And the truth that is revealed here can make an optimist out of a pessimist. It can put a silver lining in just about the darkest cloud. It can give hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. It can make a slave free and a free man happy. It can build up a person's self-esteem without building them up, puffing them up. It can turn discouragement to encouragement and despair to delight. But while you're listening to this, keep in mind that Paul, who wrote this passage of Scripture, was going through some very tough times. Paul was writing this when he was in prison. He was not sitting in a desk on a crystal cathedral in California writing this, but he wrote it from a polluted prison in Rome, Here was a man who, by any measure of the imagination, had been unfairly treated. 
He had been unjustly imprisoned. He had been determined to be a curse of the Jewish race. He was criticized by many of his brethren. He was forsaken by some of his closest friends. And yet he said in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now how could Paul have this kind of disposition? He's chained to a Roman soldier, death staring him in the face. And as far as he's concerned, there is no end to the end to his tunnel. And yet he's explaining to us, he says, I am deliriously happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you explain that? Well, Paul had discovered some secrets. And he says in our verse 12, I have learned both to be full and to be happy. And the word there translated learned literally means to learn a secret. See, Paul had learned a very valuable secret. He had learned the secret of persevering under pressure. He had learned how to have joy in jail. He had learned how to make it through the night. Paul had come to a point in his life where he had learned the secret of turning problems into pearls, obstacles into opportunities, and trouble into triumph. And yes, Paul was in prison, but he learned how to turn his prison into a palace. Now you are either going through tough times, or you've just left a time of tough times, or you are headed for tough times. Well, when your ship falls apart in the sea of life, I'm going to give you something that you can share with yourselves. And that is Paul's secrets, which are contained in four truths that will help you walk on a stormy sea on water. So first in your online, consider the first truth. Rest in the peace of God. See, Paul had learned that in good times or bad times, when you are failing or when you are succeeding, when you are in poverty or when you are in plenty, rest in the peace of God. You see, God not only wants you to be restful when you die, he wants you to be restful in this life. And Paul was not a man who was under his circumstances. He was always over his circumstances. He was not a victim. He was a victor. Paul had made up his mind to be satisfied with who he was, where he was, and what he had. He had learned that you did not have to keep up with the Jonases, that you could be well satisfied with just being a smith. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, Maybe Paul could do it. I don't think that Paul has gone through or is going through what I'm going through. Let me submit to you that in the worst days of your life, you will probably never go through what the Apostle Paul went through. I've preached on this before. He was beaten, whipped, scourged, shipwrecked, jailed, stoned with rocks, And he was often without food, ever without friends, constantly without finances, periodically without freedom, and consistently without fellowship. And yet Paul said, I am content. Paul's resident address was in the state of satisfaction. And so first, consider A in your outline. He was satisfied with the presence of God. Notice again verse 10, he says, he rejoiced in the Lord. His happiness was not based on how much he had. His happiness was not tied to the interest rates or the state of the economy. Paul had learned 
that things do not satisfy. You know, someone once asked John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. Listen, things do not satisfy. And the lack of things should not dissatisfy. Let me tell you, it's going to be a great day when many Christians will quit trying to get ahead and realize that they are ahead. You know, many of us should take inventory of all that we have and all that God has given us and all that God has provided for us. And thank God that we do have what we have and we can thank God instead of complaining about what we do not have. You know, I'm reminded of a story. Actually, I shared this several years ago. It's about a man who got dissatisfied with his farm. And he decided that he wanted to go on to bigger and better things and he decided to put this farm on the market. So he listed it with a real estate agent. You know, after a time, the real estate agent called him and said, I want to read to you the advertisement that I'm going to put in the paper. And the farmer said, all right, I want to hear it. The salesman read the listing. I'll read it to you. Beautiful farm for sale. 250 acres of rolling hills, fertile valleys, quiet streams. The climate is excellent all year round. There is fertile land for any crops, a beautiful two-story house, three barns in excellent condition, and wonderful, loving, caring neighbors. After he finished, the farmer said, I'd like to hear that again, one more time. And when he did, the farmer said, I've been looking for a place like that all of my life. (laughs) Take it off the market. You'll see a wise man who realizes It is a wise man indeed who realizes that contentment can make a poor man rich, but discontent can make a rich man poor. And not only should be satisfied with what you have, you ought to be satisfied with who you have. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't think I have to tell you really stern that it is far better to have God than it is to have gold. If you have everything without God, you have nothing. And you have nothing but God. You have everything. See, essentially what Paul is saying, I don't care if I have a diamond on my finger or if I don't have a dime in my pocket. Just give me Jesus. He was not pouting Paul when he was poor. And he was not proud, Paul, when he was prosperous, but he was always pleased, Paul, with Jesus. Second, consider being your outline. He was sure of the providence of God. Second Corinthians 9.3 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, See, Paul trusted the providence of a gracious God. And no matter what, he knew that God was working all things together for his good. Has anyone here heard of Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby was one of, if not probably, the greatest hymn writer who ever lived. When Fanny Crosby was six weeks old, the 
doctor accidentally blinded her for life. And as she grew older, she began to see in this accident the providence of God. And at eight years of age, this blind little girl wrote her first poem. Keep in mind, she was eight. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that if contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. So weep because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. She was sure of the providence of God. And third, consider C in your outline. He was secure in the purpose of God. Paul has said earlier in Philippians 3.8, But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The first secret of success that Paul had learned was this. Contentment in this life is found in commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will remain committed to the Lord, God will work out his purpose and his plan for your life, and it will be for your good and for his glory. Then consider the second truth. Reckon on the power of God. Verse 13 states, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now let me clarify what Paul was saying. Paul was not saying, I can do all things I want. But rather Paul was saying, I can do all things I ought to do. See, Paul was not advocating just blind, positive thinking. There are some people who go around today saying, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Name it and claim it. That is just not necessarily true. You know, I heard about two drunks who were in a hotel. One of them jumped out the window to his death. The police came and they interviewed the second drunk. And they asked him, why did that man jump out the window? He said, well, he was drinking and he thought he could fly around the building. The police said, well, why didn't you stop him? And he said, I thought he could. You see, positive thinking says, I can do all things. But proper theology says, I can do all things in God's will as the Lord gives me strength. Now that verse teaches me a great, very important lesson about the Christian life. The Christian life is not a matter of can't or can. It is a matter of will or won't. Anytime, anything that God commands you to do, he enables you to do it. Anything that you know that God would have you to do, you know he has already given you the divine power to do it. No Christian should ever have the audacity to say no to God. He should never say that he cannot do anything that he knows God wants him to do. For example, so many Christians can't or won't witness because they claim that they just can't do it. 
Do you understand that when you or they say that, that they cannot witness you are calling Jesus a liar? Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. You make Paul a liar, for Paul says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you make God a liar, for God in his word says that we are all to be witnesses of him. Now we know there are many things that we cannot do for God in the flesh. The fact of the matter is we should never do anything for God in the flesh. God does not want you to do his work for him. He wants his work to be done through you. But here is the truth of the matter. If there is not within you that which is above you, you will succumb to that which is around you. But if there is within you that which is above you, then you never have to succumb to anything around you. One Christian put it simply, our responsibility is simply to respond to his ability. You can turn problems into pearls. You can turn your prison into a palace. You can give up that unhealthy habit, and you can be a witness for Christ. Now, you may not be able to do everything you want, but you can do anything that you ought to do, and by the grace of God, you ought to do it. You simply reckoned on the power of God. Third, the third truth in your outline, rely on the provision of God. Verse 19 states, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's hear that again. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. There are some great promises in the Bible, but I honestly do not know of a greater promise in the Bible than this one. If you are living clean and pure before the Lord, and if you are doing and giving God what he has commanded you to do or to give, every need you have is going to be met by God. He will supply your every necessity. And there are three things that you have that are noticed about God's great provision. First, consider A, the allowance of his provision. See, God has promised to supply your need. God has not promised to supply your greed. God has not promised to supply your wants. He has promised to supply your need. You see, God does not supply our wants for two reasons. First of all, many times we need things that we do not want. I know this will be hard for some of you to believe, but growing up I used to need whippings. Now I can never remember a time in my life when my dad told me he was going to give me a whipping because I needed it, and I replied to my dad, you're absolutely right. That's the way life is. I could think of all kinds of reasons why I shouldn't be whipped. So many times we need things that we do not want. The Lord God will not respond to those wants. But the second reason is is this. Often we want things that we do not need. You know, I read about Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. And she said, "If if it had not been for God... 
I would have married the wrong man three times. You see, Mrs. Graham knew who she wanted to marry, but God knew who she needed. You know, sometimes we want flattery, but what we need is honesty. I heard about a woman on her 40th birthday who came to her husband in tears. She said, honey, you don't think I look 40, do you? He said, no, but you used to. (laughs) Sometimes we want partiality with what, what we really need is fairness. But I want you to remember that God will not necessarily meet your wants, but he will always meet your needs. I want you to remember that, and I know that every need in here has been fulfilled. And you may be sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, I have a need God has not met. Well, then one of two things is true for you. Either it is really a want and not a need, or you are about to get a blessing from God. For God will meet all of your needs. Second, consider the abundance of the provision. I thank God that Paul said that God would meet our needs not out of his riches, but according to his riches. You see, there is a great difference between meeting someone's needs out of your riches and according to your riches. Suppose a man is walking down the street and he's got $10,000 in his pocket. A beggar comes by and says to him, Sir, I have a real need in my life. Can you help me? Now that man reaches into his pocket, takes out a dollar and gives it to him. He's giving that man out of his pocket. But if he takes $10,000 and hands it to the man, he's giving according to what is in his pocket. There's a tremendous difference between the two. And I praise God that he will meet all my needs, not out of his riches, but according to his riches. And you know that his riches are infinite. So there is no matter what your need may be, he can and he will meet that need. See, God's riches are so vast that I think the human mind cannot conceive of a need, any need that God cannot meet. I like the way Dr. J. Saddle Baxter has described this verse, which is verse 19 again. He said, My God is the bank. Shall supply is the check. All your need is the amount. His riches is the capital. In glory is the bank address. In Christ Jesus is the signature. How much more could we want? Amen. And then third, consider the assurance of the provision. Notice that little word, shall. Paul does not say that God might supply, can supply, would supply, should supply. He says God shall supply all of your needs. Remember Psalm 23.1? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now mark this down. In some way or the other, the Lord will provide. It may not be my way. It may not be your way. Yet, in his own way, God will provide. He may even provide in a very strange way. For example, a short story of a little lady who lived alone in an apartment. I may have shared this one a few years back. It sounded familiar. 
And she was a widow, but she was a devout Christian. And her landlord was an atheist, and all the time he would just laugh and poke fun at her and mock her because of her faith in Christ. Well, one day he's walking by the widow's apartment, and the, and the door is ajar, and he hears her praying. And she's praying for groceries, and she's saying, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm out of groceries. I do not know how I'm going to eat. My pension is exhausted this month. I have had some unexpected bills, and I just pray that you will bring me groceries so that I can eat. For I do believe you will meet all my needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Well, this atheist overheard this prayer and decided he was going to play a big joke on her. So he went out and he bought three big bags of groceries full of turkeys, chicken, meat, vegetables, bread, milk, whatever. And while she was away, he sneaked into her apartment and he put it on the table. And then he hid behind a door waiting for her to return home. She walked in a little later. As she sees these groceries on the table and begins to praise the Lord, she says, thank you, dear Jesus, for this wonderful miracle that you've worked in my life. Thank you, precious Jesus, for what you have done. I knew that you would look after me. I knew that you would meet every need that I have in my life, just like you said. Just then, the landlord jumps out from behind the door. He begins to laugh at her, and he says, You old fool, I heard you pray the other day. It was I who bought the groceries and brought him here. I just wanted to show you how silly it is for you to believe God. The lady looked at him and smiled and said, Well, that's all right with me. God gave these groceries to me even if he had them delivered by the devil. (laughs) And how right that dear widow was. God will supply your needs. And lastly, consider the, the, the fourth truth. Rejoice in the praise of God. But before I get to the fourth truth, I'm going to request the praise team to take the platform again so we might have a closing song. So again, lastly, our fourth truth, rejoice in the praise of God. Verse 20 states, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the final secret or truth that Paul had learned was to fix his focus on God. See, Paul had learned not to concentrate on what was around him. That's a different reality that doesn't really figure for us. But he wanted to focus on who was within him and who was above him. Charles Hayden Spurgeon put it perfectly when he said this, when we bless God for mercies, we prolong them. When we bless God for miseries, we end them. Praise Praise is the honey of life which a devout heart extracts from every bloom of providence and grace. And so learn a lesson this morning. Tough times never last. Tough people do. And if you want to turn your troubles into treasure, rest in the peace of God. Reckon on the power of God. Rely on the provision of God and rejoice in the praise of God. You know, as we end our worship this morning with a song of praise, please stand on your feet or in your heart. Some can't. 
but please stand on your feet or in your heart. Lift your voice in worship as we close. Yes, God can listen and hear your mind, can read your mind, but he enjoys the audible praises with other believers. Please, don't deny him that. Sing.
Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And it's one of my favorite hymns. It's a great worship hymn. All I have needed, thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness to who? To us. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's praise his holy name as we leave here and as we have a relationship with him throughout the week. And let's make it a point of seeing each other next week. Amen.